Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with uh, you here at Crossfields. And uh, if you have your Bible, which I'm sure you do have one, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, we're going to go through a couple of verses, 14 through uh, 16. So why don't you go ahead and turn there. And just let me say this, that uh, my kids are kind of excited about me uh, speaking here uh, today. Uh, they said, Dad, you should be uh, you know, speaking more outside of the, uh, the church here. And uh, it's because I've got a couple guys, Karen and I have a couple boys that uh, are growing up to be uh, great Bible teachers themselves. And so our son is uh, filling in today and uh, we have another son that, uh, you know, is filling in whenever. And so it's a blessing uh, to be able then to be able to be free to, to just to come out and be with uh, you all here and just be able to uh, enjoy the Word of God with a part of the family of God, the big family of God way over here in Jamesburg, because we're over by the shore. And uh, so let's, uh, let's get into the Word of God. Let's, uh, what I'd like you to do right now is would you just uh, stand if you're able to, and let's uh, read this together, these couple of verses. We're in Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verses 14 through 16. And uh, let's read that, and then let's pray. And then let's glean from this section of the Scriptures today. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find help in our time of need. Let's pray. Father, what a glorious, a glorious part of your scripture that you have uh, opened up to us today. Lord, and we just want to camp out here for a few moments, Lord, and just get into the glory of your word, Lord, to look at our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the prophet and the priest and the king, and to, and to hang out around the throne of our high priest. And so we pray, and we're praying that the Holy Spirit will take the word of God and just uh, impale it to our hearts, Lord. May it penetrate deep within our hearts and our lives, the truth of your word, and may we all be uh, changed from glory to glory uh, because of you and your grace and your goodness. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It is a great couple of verses here uh, that uh, we're going to be looking at today, and, uh, and it's a, a pleasure to be able to bring the Word of God to you today, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So that first portion of this particular section says, seeing then we have a great high priest. Now the idea of the priest, the high priest, is mentioned before in this very book of Hebrews. You go back to chapter 2 and you look at verse uh, 17 and we read these words. This is Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17. Therefore in all things he had made, he had to be made known to his brethren like brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. And then also mentioned in chapter 3 verse 1 
We read, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. And so it's been mentioned before in this particular letter to the Hebrews, but now it's developed with more exclusiveness. Seeing then. So the writer of Hebrews calls our attention to the specific and the unique character of Jesus Christ, our high priest. And we notice right off the bat three specific uniquenesses about Jesus. Number one, no other high priest was called great. They were just referred to as the high priest. Nobody was called great except Jesus. Number two, no other high priest passed through the heavens except the Lord Jesus. And number three, no other high priest is the Son of God. The writer says, let us hold fast our confession. It's a wonderful thing to know that our high priest is very unique and very special and glorious in many ways. But it's even greater when you consider what we're reading here, that Jesus Christ, our high priest, passed through the heavens. This is a reference to the ascension into heaven. And that means that the Lord Jesus Christ is alive and well. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he is there ministering for our sakes. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He's praying on our behalf right now. So take both of these truths. Just take them home with you right now. The fact that Jesus Christ has, has uh, passed through the heavens and is seated at the throne of his Father there, at the right hand of his Father, and now he's ministering to us because he loves us and he cares for us. Both of these truths, just in and of themselves, uh, should encourage us to hold fast to our confession. He goes on to say in verse uh, 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us. That means that Jesus Christ can sympathize with us and does sympathize with us. And the writer of Hebrews is careful to document a couple aspects about who Jesus Christ is. For example, in the first chapter, the first uh, section there, if you turn to verses 4 through 14, just, I want you just to turn there, just to kind of probably, if you have a study Bible, they'll probably have headings. But when you come to verses 4 through 14 in chapter 1, well, that's talking about the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you go to uh, uh, chapter 2 and you, uh, you look at another section there, verses 5 through 18, uh, you, you, you turn there and you notice there's another group of uh, scriptures that are there grouped together, and that is talking about the compassionate humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we couple these together, the deity of Jesus and the compassionate humanity of Jesus, which means that Jesus, think about this, God the Son, enthroned in heaven, even as we're here in our study today, our high priest can, can and will and does sympathize with us in our weaknesses. And notice that's plural. We're not just weak in one area. We have many, many weaknesses. Now, if you were back in the day of the ancient Greeks and thinking about deities, uh, the primary attribute of God was, was this, this word, uh, apatheia, which obviously sounds like apathy, and it, that's where we get our word apathy from, apatheia. This was, a, this was a characteristic that they thought about God. And, and, and what it really means is that the essential inability 
to feel anything at all. So in their understanding of God, he was a, a very a high and mighty being that could not really have any feelings. It would be impossible for him to feel. Well, Jesus is not like that at all, is he? Jesus knows and Jesus feels what we go through. And a matter of fact, the ancient, uh, I think we're talking about the Greeks, the ancient Greek word translated sympathize literally means to suffer alongside with. And so you and I, we've had experiences of, of being sympathetic and we come alongside of people in their difficult times and we, we hang out with them uh, during those times of life when it's very difficult for them. Now, what makes the difference in the Greeks' understanding of God and the true and living God is the fact that Jesus added humanity to his deity. And, and the, the writer brings that out. Remember, he is... He is 100% God and he's 100% man. And so that means that God, through the person of Jesus Christ, lived among people who were on this earth when he was on this earth. And that means he, he mingled with, he hung out with those that went through pain, sorrow, suffering, and, and very difficult times in their lives. In other words, he was there with them during those times. He is a man of sorrows, and he is acquainted with grief. How did he become a man of sorrows acquainted with grief? Because he hung around with people like us that are sorrowful, that we have times in our lives when we're going through very difficult struggles. And Jesus hung around people like that, so he became very acquainted with that. Now, when you've been there, you know, when you've been through one of those situations and those experiences, it makes all the difference in the world. Sometimes we hear about a school shooting or a tragedy that has happened somewhere in the world. And uh, we really do feel for that community. You know, I was, I was checking out, you know, in Indonesia, that the earthquake tsunami that, that recently hit. You know, the numbers are probably going to go into the thousands of casualties. But now they're in the 800s. That's in Indonesia. And we're trying to get a, our minds around that. Uh, we think of this Hurricane Florence and, and, and our, the Carolinas. And, uh, you know, we think, well, yeah, we, we kind of remember that because we were, we were around when Sandy hit the Jersey Shore. But, uh, you know, if it's in a school shooting somewhere else, it's, it's one thing. We have a, a compassion to it. But what about it's the school in your community? What about else it's the school right down the road from where you live, where you go, where you went, where your kids go? Man, if you've been there, if it's, if, if it's hitting close to home, that makes all the difference in the world. Recently, we went through another 9-11 memorial service, right? 17 years ago. And it feels like just yesterday. I remember uh, going to the Midwest and having somebody comment about that. And they said, you know, I like the skyline. It looks so much better without those towers hanging in the air. How unsympathetic was that? But the further you are away from a situation, well, the less impact it has on your life. But Jesus is, is near every one of our hearts and every one of our situations, no matter what we're going through. In all points, we read that Jesus was actually tempted as we are and yet without sin. Now that is always an amazing truth to be able to just meditate upon. Tempted as we are and yet without sin, Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's the sin to, when we give in to the temptation. He knows what it's like to be tempted and to battle against sin. You know, Jesus battled against sin, though he was never stained by sin. It doesn't mean he didn't battle against sin. Now, 
in one sense, now just uh, hear me out here because it might sound kind of strange to our ears, but I believe that Jesus, his sinlessness was at least in part uh, an earned sinlessness as he gained victory after victory of this constant battle with temptation uh, that is common to this life here in this fallen world. You know, uh, for example, you try to set out on one of those amazing diets where you're going to avoid sugar. You don't realize how good sugar tastes until you try to not taste it anymore. And when you make it, uh, you know, through, let's say, 30 days of, of not eating this sugar, well, you're to be commended and cor- congratulated because you, you earned that time period where you were able to come against that, that temptation. Well, because of his humanity, he had to earn that battle against that physical temptation. Sometimes we think, uh, you know, of Jesus just because he is God, that he could never, you know, know temptation the way that we do. And you know what? Never could we ever say he knows it exactly the way that we do. But in part, it is true that he was tempted as we are. It says here, tempted as, as we are in all situations, and yet without sin. But he, tempt, he faced temptation. Now think about this. He, he faced temptation much more severely than we ever will. We say, well, well how, how is that? Well, Jesus is the sinless one, right? He knows temptations in ways that we don't. Because only the one who never gives in to temptation knows the full strength of the temptation. Let me illustrate, for, in my personal case, you put some, some kind of dessert in front of me, and if you tell me it has coconut on it, no problem. I will never be tempted by coconut. I do not like coconut. And so... Anytime I'm on a diet and I just say, hey, I'm not going to eat coconut, that's, that's, no, that's no big deal for me. I would never eat coconut. Now, for those of you that love coconut, I'm not coming down on coconut lovers. I'm just saying that's, not, that's never going to be tempting to me. Never. I can't even imagine being tempted by coconut. But you put a root beer float in front of me, and, uh, you know, it's a whole other story. I may give in to that because I am tempted by root beer floats, you see. Now, think about the fact that if you're going to go your whole life never giving in to those things in which are very tempting to you, you know the, the temptation is you've never caved, not one time. You've maintained a, a, a 100% you know, uh, you know, distance from that which is tempting to you. This is what our Lord did. Can you imagine the, the, uh, the intensity of that temptation? Now, it's true that the fact when you look at Jesus Christ, he never faced the temptation from the inner sense as we do because he didn't have a fallen nature. You know, he was never, uh, you know, drawn away. Nothing was ever pulling him from the inside because uh, there was no sin nature to be pulled. But Jesus knew the strength. Jesus knew the strength and he knew the fury of the external temptations in a way that, well... And to a degree that, well, when you think about it, we'll never know. We'll never really know how intense his temptations, his temptations were. Jesus knows what we go through, and he faced even worse. He's so amazing. You just uh, marvel at Jesus. Because he endured triumphantly. Think about this. Triumphantly, every form of testing that man could endure. Every form. He endured it triumphantly without any weakening of his faith in God 
or without any relaxation of his obedience to God. Now, here's our issue. You see, many times, I, I could maybe be just speaking for myself, but I don't think it's just me. Many times, because we are weak, we relax in the areas of willpower and obedience. Hey, it's just, it's just a small bite of this dessert that I'm not supposed to have for the, the next 30 days. And so because we are weak, we say, it's, I'll just spend an extra half hour on a treadmill or something like that. It'll all balance out in the end. And so what we set out to do and, uh, you know, not be tempted, we, we cave in and we kind of rationalize it. But it's an area where we, uh, we become weak because we're weak. We relax. Jesus never became weak. He never relaxed. He was always obedient. So such endurance, if you think about it, involves more, not less, than ordinary human suffering. Let's go on. He says, sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted. Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses in our temptations, but he cannot sympathize with our our sin. He can sympathize with our temptation and our weaknesses, but not with our sin because he never sinned. However, that does not mean that, well, hey, Jesus, you know, uh, you, you don't know what I'm going through. And we get this image of Jesus being a little bit less sympathetic to us. We think things like, well, Jesus, if you would understand me better, if you would have sinned yourself and you would know the struggle that I have and this addiction that I have, you're never addicted to anything. Now, Charles Spurgeon has something to say about this. He says, but listen to me. Do not imagine that if the Lord Jesus had sinned, he would have any more tenderness towards you. For sin always is a hardening of its nature. Uh, all of us are affected by sin, and it hardens our nature. And so, if the Christ of God could have sinned, he would have lost the perfection of his sympathetic nature. And so since he never sinned, he's never lost the tenderness of his sympathetic nature. I'm sure all of us at one point or another have been able to extend some sympathetic comment or gesture to somebody else. We sympathize, uh, but if we're honest, we sympathize outwardly, but sometimes we just have this thing that goes through our mind uh, in our minds, and we say, we listen to their story. It's a tender story. It's a very sad story, a very real story. And yet in our minds, we're thinking, you know, you think you got it bad. You know, you don't know nothing. You don't know what I'm going through. I just heard somebody else tell me a story about what they're going through, and it all becomes kind of relative to us. You, you want to say to them, you think that's it? Well, let me just tell you something. Let me tell you something about uh, what's going on in my life. We don't say that, but it sometimes thinks. It, it thinks through that in our mind. It kind of sneaks in there. Now, I was recently visiting my dad in Florida, and uh, he had a, he fell, and he's, he's elderly, and he couldn't uh, get himself up. And he was on the floor for a couple of days before my sister went over and, you know, found him. So he had to go through a lot of rehab and a lot of physical things happened to him that uh, we, were, we were not expecting. So <clears throat> that was early in this year. So I go down on his birthday, May 1st, and, 
and uh, he's recuperating, and we're going on some little short little field trips, you know, and it was a lot of fun to be with him. It was just the two of us. Well, he's getting all these wonderful calls from back in high school days. I mean, he graduated in 47, okay? And so he's maintained some relationships with some of the guys he played football with and, and hung out with in the track and field. And I was, we were just getting ready to go out to get something to eat, and one of his teammates called, and uh, he began to tell my dad, he said, you know, John, uh, a, a friend of mine uh, fell like you fell, and cracked his head on the table, and he died. And, uh, and you know, and then we were, and I just heard dad's side of the conversation of this. And so I'm saying to my dad as we're in the car, I says, man, that guy doesn't know anything about sympathy, does he? I mean, why would you say that to somebody who just is trying to recover from a fall? And, and, but, but what I'm saying is that we're sympathetic, but sometimes we have, uh, you know, foot-in-the-mouth disease. Sometimes we say some things that are so cool and cruel and crass that we don't even realize it, but we don't mean to, but we just, we just want to one-up somebody on a sympathetic situation or share something. You know, I know somebody that had what you have, and boy, you know, they went down so fast. And we're, we're thinking we're kind of relating, you know, being a little sympathetic here, but, but we're not. And so Jesus never had to sin, and, and that means that he never has lost that tenderness towards sympathy that sometimes sin does uh, to us. And uh, I learned, you know, uh, and being in a ministry and pastoring and, and, and going to visit people in difficult situations for them, the, the less said sometimes the better. Especially you don't want to say things, you know, I, I know how you're feeling. Because you really, you really don't know exactly how they're feeling. What has uh, been the greatest, uh, <clears throat> I'm just switching topics here. The greatest invitation that you've ever received or greatest opportunity that has ever presented itself to you. I was, I was thinking about, uh, about that question, you know, because I've been invited to a lot of pretty amazing things. Uh, there's been some graduations I've been invited to, you know, that are only family members are involved in. There's some weddings. There's some sporting events, you know, uh, that I've... Uh, one time, a, a person uh, paid for my way to go watch the Jets play the Miami Dolphins on a Monday night, and it was like an all-expense kind of a, uh, a trip. That was a wonderful invitation. I says, yeah, that will be... I'll be a real blessing to be able to do that. What about, you know, uh, uh, dinner with uh, some famous people? Uh, because of my, my background with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, I, I've been able to have dinner with a lot of famous people in the past. And that's pretty uh, amazing experience. And then what about the White House dinner, you know? What about being one of those ministers that were invited to, to be with the, the president and kind of uh, talk and share about what's going on with the spiritual climate of the world? Wonderful invitations that we have. One of my favorite was when Karen and I were invited to travel to Virginia to a parents' uh, a weekend, and uh, just was an all-expense-paid uh, experience. All we had to do is just pack the suitcase and everything from A to Z was, was covered and paid for. We just had to enjoy that. That's a wonderful, wonderful invitation. I think before us, if you think about it in that context of invitations and opportunities, I think it's one of the most amazing invitations offered to mankind. I'm talking about Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Is there a more glorious 
a more inviting invitation. Let us therefore come boldly. Now, because we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who is both omnipotent, which is all-powerful, and compassionate, all-loving, well, we can come boldly. We can come boldly to his throne. Now, I got a question. If, if this invitation, if this opportunity presents it to us uh, as, as often as we have need of it, how come we don't take advantage of it more often? Well, because there's an enemy, an enemy of our souls, an enemy that wants us to stay far away from the throne of grace because the devil messes with us. He sometimes, uh, you know, whispers in our ear, wants us to consider how, how, you know, Jesus, he's very unapproachable. And Satan perhaps encourages us, since Jesus is so unapproachable, why don't you just go to his mom? Why don't you go to the, the, the Virgin Mary? Why don't you go and, and pray to her? Or maybe one of the saints, because, you know, you're talking Jesus, you're talking the Son of God. Uh, you don't, you don't, you know, he's, he's got a very busy schedule. Sometimes the devil, you know, wants us to think that Jesus is, you know, well, he's really powerless, really, when it comes to your needs and your situation. Uh, he's really not concerned about what you're going through right now. Mm, and that's what he kind of whispers in our ears. And perhaps, perhaps that uh, kind of deters us from taking advantage of this wonderful opportunity, this invitation. So we have to say, sad to say, even though the invitation has been in the scripture forever and will be there forever, uh, many of us take the enemy's lines and we are discouraged from going to the word of God and to, to realize that, you know what, this invitation is available for you and for me right now, even where we are and what we're doing. Many of us remain weak in our prayer lives, don't we? It's amazing. Do not want to come to the one who sits on the throne. Think about what I just said, throne, throne. Who sits on thrones? Kings and rulers sit on thrones. Why would we not want to go to the one who is the king of kings and lord of lords sitting on this throne and go to him because he has the power and authority uh, to make a difference in our lives? So what does it mean to come boldly, uh, you know, to the throne? Well, I know this. It doesn't mean to come proudly. It doesn't come to, to come arrogantly. And it doesn't mean to come with any presumptions. Uh, let me just suggest five Five characteristics of coming boldly. If you're taking notes, you might just want to jot these down. Boldly means, number one, we may come constantly. Constantly, consistently, all of the time. Number two, boldly means we can come without reservation. You don't need to take a number. We're not talking about going to the, the local deli and taking your number, and when their number's called, then you can take your order. There's no reservations to come to the throne of grace. Number three, boldly means we can come freely. I like that, freely, without any fancy words. You know, just come as you are and speak your mind and speak your heart using your own vernacular, your words, however you talk, however you dialogue. Number four, it means to come with confidence. We can come with confidence to this throne of grace. And number five, boldly means we should come with persistence, but not a persistence, the attitude that we're going to wear God out but rather that we're going to build ourselves up. Remember what kind of a throne this is. And the Lord loves these kind of prayers. Oh, Lord, once again, you know, we come to you on behalf of so-and-so. Once again, 
He says, yeah, it's great to see you. It's great to be with you here at the throne. He never gets tired of the once again or saying, Lord, here I am again. He loves that. Here we are again. What kind of a throne is it? The throne of grace. The throne of God is the throne of grace. And when we come, we may obtain, receive mercy. What is mercy? Well, mercy is not getting what we deserve. What do we deserve? Well, we all deserve death and destruction. We all deserve to be separated from God. That is what we really deserve. But we're going to get mercy. In other words, we're going to receive from this throne of grace something that we do not deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. When we come, we may find grace. And grace, wow, grace is getting what we don't deserve. We're getting something that we do not deserve. That's grace. And then when do we come to this throne of grace? This throne of grace where the Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith. When? What day do I come? When is my appointment? Do I have to make any reservations? No, it says here, you come uh, in your time of need, which would be in my case uh, about all the time because there's always a need for me personally or for somebody else. Now, interestingly enough, We've spoken about the ancients today, but the ancient Jewish rabbis looked at this situation and they thought that God actually had two thrones, one throne for mercy and one throne for judgment. They said because they knew the scriptures indicated that God is a God of mercy, but he's also a God of just, they could not reconcile these two concepts into one. So because they couldn't, they they kind of presumed, they thought, and they taught that, well, perhaps God has two thrones. And when he wants to show mercy, he sits on the throne of mercy. And when he wants to, you know, need out judgment, he sits on the throne of judgment. That's what they thought. One throne showed mercy. One throne showed mercy. One throne showed judgment or justice. But you know what? Here, in light of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross... Think about what has just happened. We see mercy and judgment then reconciled into one throne of grace. Jesus died for sin. Now he can extend grace to us. There's a reconciling of the justice of God and the love of God in the person of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for our sins. It's important to understand that because, you know, if we get that message wrong, we'll think that, well... God's grace ignores God's justice. It doesn't ignore the justice. You know, God is a loving God. The Bible says that God is love. God is a merciful God. But it also says that God is a just God. The same Bible speaks of God in these two attributes. It's both and. It's not either or. But it operates, the grace of God operates uh, in, in light of the cross of Christ. God extends grace to us invites us to the throne of grace because Jesus satisfied the justice of God when he died on the cross for our sins. Find grace in help of need, in this time of need. Well, thankfully, God does provide the help. We read it right here, don't we? We're gonna find help in our time of need. Remember that no request is too small. I think that sometimes we kind of look at the world around us and we look at what people are going through and we do kind of size up our situation with others and we say, you know, this is, I really shouldn't bother the big guy with this, you know. This is like too minuscule. 
hey, listen, let's, let's kind of drop that, that mentality because it's not biblical, it's not scriptural. No request is too small. You know how I know that? Because God says in his words in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, be anxious for nothing. Is there something today that's causing you to be anxious? The word of God says, be anxious for nothing. Nothing. But in everything. Now, I think anything and nothing, when we bring this together, these concepts, be anxious for nothing, that means you, you, something is better than nothing, but I, I can't be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Isn't that amazing? Your needs today, your prayer requests today, what you're going through today is very, very significant to God because His Word tells us to be anxious about nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, let us make our requests known to God, the throne of grace. What's on your mind right now? I'm sure there's something on your mind, something going on in your life. Well, if you're like me, and sometimes, uh, honestly, I'm on my mind. <laughs> if nothing else is on your mind, I'll bet you're on your mind. When I woke up this morning... I was on my mind. I was on my mind. Whoa, I got troubles. Whoa, whoa. I got worries. Whoa, whoa. Isn't that the truth? As soon as you woke up today, who was on your mind? Perhaps it was you. Something anxious going on in your life? Something that you need to bring to the throne of grace? I'm sleeping and right in the middle of a good dream and all at once I wake up to something that keeps knocking at my brain before I go insane I hold my pillow to my head and spring up in my bed singing out the words I dread I think I love me and I really don't mean maybe we love ourselves I'm on my mind I think about me all the time when I woke up this morning I was on my mind I think I love me What's going on in your life? What's on your mind today? What's on your heart? I know you have a heart, compassion, concerned about you, about somebody else, about something else. What's troubling you? Something troubling you today? Small thing, big thing. It's all relative, right? Small things are big things. No matter what it is, whatever you're going through, Whatever's on your mind, whoever's on your mind, whatever situation, you can take it to the Lord, can't you? You can take it to the Lord right now in prayer. Are you on your way to heaven? Are you sure? Are you absolutely sure that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? Do you ever have that haunting thought about heaven and hell? Those things go through your mind. How about your loneliness that you struggle with? How about the emptiness that you deal with? How about that guiltiness or fearfulness or insecurities? Is that troubling you? If you talk to somebody lately who expresses how lonely they are, here we are in a crowd. There might be people here that are extremely lonely. I know that without Jesus Christ, I already know you're lonely. So how do you know that? Well, the Bible says that you were created by God to have a relationship with him. And if you don't have a relationship with God, that means there's a deep loneliness that has still been unsatisfied. 
And I know without Jesus Christ in your heart and life, I know that you struggle with emptiness. How do you know that? Well, the Bible says that God created us with futility in order that we might search for God. We're not complete without God. There's a Christ-shaped hole in our hearts and our lives. You can try to fill that with whatever you want to. Take your pick. Money, power, fame, sex, drugs, alcohol might satisfy for a bit, but man, that, that emptiness, that was made there by God for you to put your faith and trust in Him. And then there's that uh, guiltiness that we feel. We feel guilty because we're guilty. It's like the idiot lights on our cars. What are those lighting up? What are those? What's that flashing? Check oil, check uh, gas. And uh, some cars talk to you. What about your phone when it starts beeping crazy like that? You're just going to ignore that? You're going to get into big trouble if you ignore all those idiot lights and those warning signals. That's, that's the guilt of sin. The God is saying, you know, something's wrong right here. And I'm warning you, you stay on that path, you're going to head to destruction. And then there's that fearfulness. Wow. I'm fearful. I'm not talking about, you know, afraid of... Arachnid phobia, afraid of spiders. I'm not talking about the phobias. I'm talking about fear of death and dying. What's going to happen to you? Where are you going to spend eternity? What's out there beyond out there? And you're afraid to die. Man, when you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have to fear that anymore because you know exactly where you're going. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. But to be present with the Lord, you're going to go to spend the rest of your life with Jesus in glory. Hang out with him. And what about all these insecurities that we struggle with? A lot of people insecure, comparing ourselves with each other. Do you know the Bible says that you're fearfully and wonderfully made by him? Nobody's like you. Totally unique, one-of-a-kind person. And then we always try to be like somebody else, dress like them, talk like them, act like them. But no, you are, you are unique, and your uniqueness is a, a mark of ownership from God himself. So you don't have to try to be like anybody else. Just enjoy who you are because you are not junk. You are a God's creation. You are a masterpiece. You are a poem created uh, by God for good works. If you know you're on your way to heaven, that is a glorious, uh, a glorious assurance. But if you're not, let me just uh, close by reminding us that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that on the third day he rose again from the dead according to the scriptures, according to the Bible. The Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of our sin is death, separation from God for all eternity. How do we know that uh, we're sinners? Well, the Bible says that sin entered the world through one man and death through that one man, Adam. And because they we're genetically connected to Adam, this, this sin has passed on to each and every one of us because all have sinned and, and death has entered into our, our gene pool. But the good news is that though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life. For God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. As a matter of fact, if you were to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you would be saved. You'd be saved right now, right here. For with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And, and think about it. We get a chance to, to just kind of muse on that and just meditate on that. In a moment, we're going we're gonna to have some, just an opportunity to sing and to worship. and to, Why not just 
head to the throne this morning with all of the things that are going on in your life. You know, how many times, how many alarm systems do you, do you see in people's houses? How many watchdogs do they have? Why are, we, why are we protecting our assets like we're doing? Because we're guarding what we have. Well, prayer is a blessing for many reasons, but you know what? One of the blessings of prayer is that it, it guards our minds. It guards our minds from going wild with worry. Are you worried today? Prayer is, has its innate ability to, to guard our hearts from uh, erratic emotions. Prayer settles us. Praying reminds us that God is watching over us, that God is on the throne, that God is in control. And so when we sing and when we, we kind of have a, a time of meditation and, and worship and waiting upon the Lord today, think about the throne of God, the throne of grace. Think about how loving and merciful and gracious God is and he is inviting you. The opportunity for you today is, is you know, you don't, have to, you don't have to leave the same way you came. We're gonna go to the throne of, of worship. So I invite you to join us and to bring all of your anxieties, all of your anxiousnesses with you and, and leave them here. Because we, we continue to read in Philippians where it says here, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through the Lord Jesus Christ. So you come with anxiety, but you leave with peace. How did that happen? Because you spent some time at the throne of grace so you can find help in your time of need. And God can extend mercy to you because of what Jesus Christ has done. So the option is just to sit there and continue to be anxious and worry about all kinds of things, or, or why not just come forward today? If you're not a Christian, this is the time for you. It makes all the, the sense in the world to me. If you're not a believer, put your faith and trust in Him. Know for certain that when you die, you're going to go to heaven. Allow Jesus Christ to come into your heart and life, and you know what? He'll take care of that loneliness because now you're, you're connected with your creator who created you to have a relationship with him. That emptiness that you've been trying to fill with whatever and whoever and it's not working out, it's never gonna work out because you were created to have Jesus in your heart. He makes you complete. And wow, that guiltiness that we live with, thank God for that. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all of our unrighteousness. And not only that, He removes that guilt. He takes away that guilt and pain and, and sorrow from our lives that sin has caused so often. And that fearfulness, you don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be afraid to die anymore. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. But the judgment has been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. Our response is just to, to go, to go with God. You know, I talked about that wonderful invitation, that all-expense-paid trip. Hey, I'm inviting you to consider an all-expense-paid trip to heaven. It's been paid for. The ticket's been printed. You just need to pick it up. You just need to get in, get aboard, and you need to take the rest of your life and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Forget about being insecure. Be secure in who you are in Christ. He makes all things new.
You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.